Welcome to Open Plaza, created by the Hispanic Theological Initiative. In this episode, Dr. Lakisha Lockhart talks to Reverend Dr. Liz Valle Ruiz about Sofia's theme park, a space she created to play and heal through reconnection. For more information about today's episode, visit hdiopenplaza.org. Welcome to HDI Open Plaza podcast. My name is Liz Valle. And I am Lakeisha Lockhart. Hello, hello. And today we're going to talk about play. So we will introduce ourselves playing because it makes sense, right? The game we're going to start playing is called Conjuring Our Future. Well, I call it that for today. The way that I learned it is introduce yourself as that which you want to be or become as if it was already a reality. So that's how we're going to introduce ourselves. Hi, my name is Liz. I have a PhD in homiletics and liturgics and I am a practical theologian who works mostly in post-colonial, decolonial, anti-colonial, and queer perspectives. And I am an international speaker whose first scholarly book was a children's story called Sophia's Theme Park. How do I follow that? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's wonderful. Okay, so um, uh, let's see. So I am Lakeisha Lockhart, a PhD in theology and education, a religious educator, a practical theologian. But more than that, I am a mother of one little one and one on the way. And I am a sibling. I'm a wife. I'm a friend. I am uh, just in community with, with folks that I love deeply and dearly that keeps me thriving um, and that I keep really great relationships with. And I too am an international speaker and play facilitator and game player, rope jumper and disruptor of spaces and a challenger and someone who just kind of transgresses spaces uh, inside the academy and outside the academy. And if we're gonna talk about books, let's see, yes, my first book would be a book around vocational play that um, has gone out to congregations everywhere and schools about how we actually use play in our educational spaces to, to bring about change and healing and fun uh, and learning and, and, and across difference because we have so much of that right now. So that would be my introduction. Oh, that felt good. I, I just wanna say, I wanna name that, that, we're putting that in the air and I love that this game <laughs> and what it does. So thank you for inviting us in with that Liz. I appreciate that and, and may it be so. <laughs> I'm gonna put that out there. That was awesome. And so HDI Open Plaza invited us because I recently um, wrote an article for in the it was published in the Presbyterian Outlook. So by default, it was written for um, clergy and and leaders. Just it could be lay leaders in the Presbyterian Church USA, uh, in which I am an ordained minister. Mm -hmm. I also teach at McCormick Theological Seminary, which um, historically has been um, a PCUSA related seminary. And Lakicha, where do you teach? 
Yeah, I, te- I also teach at a PCU seminary. I teach at Union Presbyterian Seminary in Richmond, Virginia. So I like minds, look at us. <laughs> yes. And this article that I wrote is called, what is it called? It's called The Power of Divine Play at Sophia's Theme Park. And I, Lakisha is my conversation partner today because Lakisha's uh, dissertation was on play as a woman's <laughs> pedagogy. And yeah, neither of us are super proud of our dissertations because we were just learning, right? We were just trying to get through the dissertation. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's like getting done how um, Eric Barreto taught us one in an HTI event. Um, how do they call a person who wrote a bad dissertation? And we were like, how? Doctor! Whether you order them a bad one. It's done and you're still a doctor. It's done, it's done. You're still a doctor. So it doesn't matter. It's a dissertation. A good dissertation is a finished dissertation. That's that's what I've so, heard. And I'm just glad it's done. So there we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but let me ask you. So uh, so I also read this article because I think you're you're brilliant and amazing. And I think what you're doing is fabulous. And so let's tell the folks, because we're calling to listen to about you, because I want them to know all about Sophia's theme park and who you are. And yes, we can chat about play all day, but what is Sophia's theme park? Let, let the folks know what it is and where did you get the inspiration for it? I'm, I mean, you know, I, again, feel free to read the article Presbyterian Outlook, but also now listen. <laughs> yes, Sophia's theme park, we describe it recently as a space, now a virtual space for people to come and reconnect with their, themselves, with the different parts of themselves that colonization and racism and all the other isms that we face um, have. So these isms and these systems of oppressions kind of divide ourselves and divide us from them. And they, these systems of oppression cause so many divisions and that sometimes like Audre Lorde says, it disconnects ourselves from, from that inner wisdom that we have which he calls the power of the erotic. And so this virtual space that I call the Sophia's theme park is a, is a space for people to come and reconnect the different aspects of themselves and continue the work of healing their inner child and continue the work of seeking divine wisdom, which in Greek is Sophia, um, through play and through embodied practices and very ancient disciplines of, of spirituality uh, that we riff off through different ways. Um, and the inspiration for it actually came a very long time ago when I was still living in Puerto Rico. I was leading um, a theater group uh, called Decisiones, Decisions, and it was a rolling theater. And we were growing and I had this idea for us at that point, we called it a center for the healing arts or a center for arts for healing, um, because uh, it's a way of also using what most people in, through Western thinking call arts. And in, in my perspective now, I call systems of communication. And yes. my, my preferred system of communication is theater. I have a background in theater. And I have a lifelong of play with my family. But back then, that was the inspiration. It's like, how can we do this more? And how can we grow this ministry? And that dream didn't come to fruition because then I moved to the States in 2008. But then 
this year, the year that the pandemic started around January, so it wasn't this year, it was 2019, I think, mm -hmm. um, 2020. So the dream was kind of like shaking inside of the, of the drawer. I was like, hey, I'm here, I'm still here. Um, <laughs> Let me out. Let me come alive, <laughs> Let me out of the drawer. And I was like, how can I do this? How can I do this? Because my life was so different and I was in a different place. And then the pandemic hit and it was like, okay, this is it. We need, we are going online so we can do this Sophia's theme place. I, I needed a different name. So I asked for the divine to inspire me. And this, uh, the divine gave me this character who I called Nina Sophia. Mm. And she's the host of this park. And I thought of theme park, um, a little bit inspired by um, Teresa, Santa Teresa La Mística, the mystic. Who, who wrote um, Teresa Favila, The Inner Castle. So there's a certain element of my inner theme park that kind of shapes this virtual space to have virtual retreats. Mm -hmm. And the pandemic gave us the opportunity to bring as the first group of people to test these experiences, uh, clergy and lay leaders who were the first ones to go into depression and burnout because of the pandemic yes, and all the extra yes. work that they had to do. Mm, absolutely. And so, I mean, even I'm, I'm saying yes, because I can think about so many of my colleagues that were saying how burnt out they were. And I mean, educators, ministers, just folks alike were just saying how how exhausted they were from this year, just because the combination of, of grief, of death, not only personally, but then people they're ministering to um, and all of those things. And they just didn't know what to do again, because so often we're told that play is not for serious folk, right? It's not for adults, it's for children. And so I'm curious, um, why the space of play? You know, what is, wh why play and, and what is play for you? And how does it, you think it brings about so much of what you were, um, I think many of us are need, were needing <laughs> during the pandemic, if I'm going to be honest, right? That space. So why play and, and what is play for, for you in, in this space? Well, play has been in my life forever. My, I come from a family of gamers. We, I grew up playing all sorts of games. Um, my parents eventually, as when I was an adult, they founded a weekly group with church people to play. And all of that in the midst of a tradition that even though it was Protestant, it was Puritan too. So play was a, as a not a good thing. And in Puerto Rico as a whole, in different traditions, not only Protestant, but also Pentecostal and Catholic, um, there was um, at the early colonial years, this say of the, of the three Bs, baile, botella, baraja. Um, it doesn't translate with the same letters in English, dance, drinking and gaming those three things christian people don't do them but in my family we did them and that was odd for other people but for me it was natural yeah. so when when we closed down and then the only things that um remain open were the essential ones or well, my my definition of essential was not the same as them one of the first things to close was entertainment because people think of entertainment as something extra. Mm -hmm. And 
I thought they're gonna drive all of us crazy because yes. we need entertainment <laughs> or the so so called entertainment to stay healthy psychologically, emotionally, holistically mm-hmm. whole, right? Um, in, in in holistically whole is kind of redundant, but that's that's what entertainment quote unquote does for us. I I don't believe in entertainment. My art has never been for entertainment. The theater I do. I've never done it for entertainment. I declared it holy as soon as I learned what holy meant. My parents were um, actors in church plays when I was born. So I've been in church plays since the womb. (laughs) And I grew up in a church where the pastor wrote plays as sermons or sermons as plays. So at the center of the park, of Sophia Steam Park, there are two places of play. play as the yeah let's play games as the verb but there's also play as the noun as the play you know the performance that we do theatrical play and there again from a western perspective that kind of play is not well seen especially in the u.s in puerto rico it's very normal for us to use plays theater theatrical plays as sermons but I have found that um, in the diaspora is not as common in the Hispanic Latinx diaspora. So all of these things I can go on and on, but why play? Because it's part of human nature, because it was normal for me growing up, because it was sacred for us, for my family, for my pastor, for my church, and for myself throughout my upbringing. And because when the pandemic hit, it was the thing we needed to stay whole and healed and healing in this ongoing journey of being um, complete human beings who have bodies and who have emotions and who need to connect with one another. Absolutely. I'm just, I'm just remembering kind of moments during the pandemic, you know, I've had, I have a, I have a two-year-old and so moments where, you know, he would remind me to play and I'm like, it, those moments were like so life-giving and those were the moments that would get me through the hardest days, right? Those moments where I'm like, you know what? I've done enough work for today. Even if that work was a sentence <laughs> or one email, um, but just, and, but just also remembering like that was probably the best sleep I got that night because I wasn't worried about the deadline or the thing. I was trying to be present and play and, and give myself over to, to play and to, to be in that space. And, um, and even though we, you know, in the midst of, I feel like what so many of my friends would call like a dumpster fire or just so many things going on in the world. It was just beautiful to to take time out to remember body, to remember self, to remember family and to just remember joy and play. And even sometimes it wasn't joyful because I was grieving, but it was just still that space of play. And so I'm, I'm glad that you're, you're talking about kind of what it, what it, what it, what it is and what play is for you. And so in thinking about that, I'm thinking about what it's been for me during this pandemic. And so I'm wondering what does play have to offer for other practitioners and theologians, whether they're teaching or they're in ministry or wherever they may find themselves? What do you, what do you feel like play also has and can offer them? So the first thing that it has to offer is healing and wholeness. That's the first thing I think play offers um, practitioners and theologians. For me, it's a way of knowing too. Um, people, <laughs> I remember a story of this, this group of people that my, my parents uh, founded that would like weekly meet for years. I mean, over 20 years now, they have been playing every week. Um, I would tell them that when I play, all of the ideas come into place and I was able to produce, for example, a sermon better. 
So I, I would like study, I would do the exegesis of the text for a sermon. And then I would start playing like cards with my friends and family. And then all the pieces would come together and the sermon would come to me through play. And through playing something like, I mean, we were playing cards, canasta to be exactly. And, and they, they were like, when I said it, they didn't believe me. They actually laughed. I was like, what is that? Like these things that don't match. I was like, Christians are not supposed to play. We are playing. We're not, you know, we don't publicize it to the whole world because we're, you know, in Puerto Rico. We were playing in Puerto Rico. And you tell us you're writing a sermon in the midst of playing. And I, I will literally sit with my, with a blank piece of paper. And as ideas came to me, I would write the sermon, like an outline not the whole like sermon um, as we were playing. So that's one thing that it has to offer to me. But the thing that we did at the Sophia Steam Park that this article that I wrote for the Presbyterian Outlook um, can offer to any practitioner um, in any denomination is, is to bring their culture, their, their joy of salvation and also the, the playfulness of their own culture into worship and preaching. And the, the, the way that I do that or we did that at the, at the Sophia theme park was to repurposing the games. So we adapt the games to the purpose of worship and the purpose of preaching. And so the theology behind that and what theologists have um, to gain from using play, um, I, I draw from scripture from Proverbs 8. And the idea that Sophia, that the wisdom of God, actually in Proverbs 8, the word is chokma, and I might be mispronouncing that because that's not my first language or my second. So, um, but transliterated H-O-K-M-A, chokma or chokma. Um, the wisdom of God was there according to Proverbs 8 when God created everything. And the word delight and play is there all over. And then if we think of Job, there's also an imagery of God as a playful person who is playing with all creation. It's God, God's self. It's not just God's wisdom. So that's part of that. And then um, I also draw on um, the, the Holy Spirit, the pneumatology from this book, Latina Evangelicas, in which they talk about the Holy Spirit as the wild child, which I always imagine as a girl, which is Sophia. Nina Sofia. And, and then I'm not the first one to put these dots together because I come from a Puritan tradition. I also draw on um, German Reformed theologian Jürgen Montmann, who wrote Theology of Play. And he talks about how our Puritan background tells us that um, we're not supposed to play, that we are not here for pleasure. Play and pleasure are very interconnected. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't make sense to me because in, in my tradition, we also, I, as, a, as a child, I had to memorize the catechism. And the first question is, what is the main end or aim of human beings? Is to glorify God and to delight or, yes. you know, to, dis, to disfrutar, to enjoy God's being forever. And so it's, for me, there was a disconnect. You tell me that the main end of me is not only worshiping God, is to delight in God. But I cannot delight in God because every time I go to church, it's so like solemn. It feels like a funeral. So it was a disconnect and a dissonance for me. So play 
can offer theologians a way of knowing in which they can organize the, their ideas as well. In my case, I use it to organize and produce, generate my scholarship. I play with theology so I can like imagine uh, ways in which we can bring theology into, into actual practices that are different from what we have so that we can co-create a different world. So I'm just getting so, excited just thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you are an expert too, which is why I brought you here because, you know, I'm just learning the theory behind all of this. I have been doing it my whole life. And I want to know what, from your perspective, two questions I have for you, you can tackle them in whatever order you want. What is, <laughs> what is your take of, of that uh, article that I wrote mm -hmm. that I hope that our listeners will um, get um, curious about and go to read too? And, and then also from your perspective, what does play have to offer to practitioners and theologians? Which one do you okay. have? Do you want um, to tackle first? So I'll, tackle the last, I'll tackle the second one first, um, okay. just because I feel like they're going to tie in and I'll, I'll bring your article because I feel like so much of what you wrote is, is going to be about what I'm going to talk about. So then I'll bring it. Um, no, but for me, play is you know, if I had to give it like my own personal definition for me, it's like play is like this embodied aesthetic experience, like this experience that sometimes we can't explain that doesn't always have words, but it's like, you know it when you feel it, you know it when you, when you experience it. And a lot of times it's that experience is that remembering of what you said earlier, that embodiment, which is again, I'm, I'll probably go back and forth between these questions because I think that's what you bring to Sophia's theme park is this embodied experience that I think offers many people. And I think that's the beauty of what play can offer. Um, you know, again, we, we, we were going through, we've been through the dissertation process. We had to produce this. And I don't know about you, but you know, in the classrooms and all the spaces, it was all just very head-based. And I'm like, I'm a body person. I have a body. I like to move. The way I have come to understand God is through dance and through movement and body so for me to have like this mind body disconnect just did not feel okay I was like this mind body dualism I'm like it should not exist in my mind and so for me play is what like brings them back together and reminds us that our mind and body are connected you know as you talked about it's like this mind body connection that has to happen and I mean just even on a physiological level like our brain and our body are connected. Like when we move, our brain synapses open new neural pathways. Like literally, you know, we, as you were saying, if you're working on something and you're stuck, you get up, you move, you dance, you come back, boom, you have this amazing inspiration. It's not magic, it happens. Your mind and your body are connected. You need, you need the two to do amazing things. And I think that's what play for me, it just really offers. And I think that's what you're offering in your Sophia's theme park is this space to, to try something other than you're offering what I think Moltmann, you know, you mentioned Moltmann. I think Moltmann and Courtney Goto would probably call a calendar environment, right? This space to do something other than this space to, 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 to risk, you know, as adults, we don't like to fail. We don't like to risk. And I think something, you know, again, looking at my two-year-old, he will try something over and over and over, no matter how many times it doesn't work. He's going to keep trying it until he gets it. And then once he gets it, he's going to try it again several more times. And it's wonderful, but he is resilient. He doesn't have a fear of failure or, or, or risk. He's just going to go for it, jump off the couch, jump off of everything. And it's beautiful. And I think play brings us back to that of, guess what? We can risk. And guess what? Maybe it'll hurt. Maybe it'll get messy. But then that's when we find the beauty of the divine that will catch us. That's when we will find 
each other in this space. And again, that's what I think you're doing at this theme park. And even as you're describing it in this, um, in what you're writing, it's just this beautiful space to, to fail together, to risk together, to explore together. You know, you do some of the stuff called, um, I really like when you talk about co collective improv improvised storytelling. And I'm just like, yes, talk about beloved community, right? And thinking about how you tell stories together in this collective narrative and, and improv and how you're doing this on the spot and the, the beauty that comes from it. And so for me, play is all of those things. And I think it has all of these things to offer practitioners and theologians, uh, you know, a counter environment to do things. Personally, I like to use the term clearing space because I'm a Toni Morrison fan. And so I like to call it clearing space because it's space to dance and move and to be and, you know, how to put my womanistness in there. <laughs> and so I call it that, but I think that's what it provides. And I think even if you're playing in your classroom or you're going to play in, in church or wherever it is, it offers that for young people, for adults alike, to this remembrance to offer a space, as you mentioned, of healing and rejuvenation, of a space to remember to connect our minds and our bodies that, you know, yes, you know, you know, I don't know about you, but I was raised to deny the flesh. And I'm like, but I, it was a gift, <laughs> but it's, it's a gift. How do I honor this gift too? <laughs> this beautiful fleshly gift as well. And so, um, and realizing that they, that they're both beautiful, that they're, they're wonderfully and beautifully made. And how do we give ourselves space to explore that? And I think play just reminds us of that. It reminds us that even in our differences, we can still see each other again, what Sophia Park <laughs> clearly does. And so I just, Play does so many things. And I'm just so excited about this work that you're doing and what you're offering to communities and hoping that people will take this great work back and do it in their own communities and, and do it with, you know, in their classrooms or in their congregations because it can be so healing, so transformative, but just you learn so much about each other and the divine and yourself. It's just, it's beautiful. I feel like I can't talk and say more good things, but I'll leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, I'm totally with you. I mean, there were so many words that resonated. I was like, yes, you totally get like the vulnerability of risk taking. Without risk taking, we cannot innovate. That's how we innovate. And so new times, new callings. It's like there's something about the gospel that is eternal. And there's something about the gospel that is very contextual. Mm. I mean, the incarnation itself. It's like, how can we deny the flesh when God is at the incarnation is at the center of our theology, right? Exactly. And and so like, that's part of what we are trying to disrupt here. Disruption is another key word that, mm -hmm. and transgress. Um, so I think we share our admiration for um, Toni Morrison and um, <laughs> Tony and to transgress bell hooks. Yes. <laughs> so, by the way, I want to say about the clearing, that image of what um, Baby Socks does mm -hmm. at the clearing in Toni Morrison's um, novel *Beloved* or *Beloved* yeah. um, was part of the of the inspiration of the of Sophia as an adult. So, <sighs> Sophia as an adult comes first, and she is um. a dominatrix. Her her it's a character of the many characters I have created to preach. So, Sophia divinatrix is a burlesque dancer, or yes. I say now burlesque-esque because <laughs> it's not quite burlesque. Um, and every, every burlesque dancer has a stage name with a tagline. So the stage name of, is Sophia Divinatrix. And then the tagline is the high priestess on robe. And that on robe is a homage to, to baby socks oh. because she was holy on road that's where mm -hmm. i learned that word on road and so since 
burlesque is about removing clothes. I thought this is perfect for Sofia Dimitris. She's on rope, she's removing the rope. And if you see the, the, the visual image of Nina Sofia, she has a rope too. But it looks more like a like a magician's like a like a birthday party magician's robe, yeah. uh, because she's a girl and she exists. Because I was thinking, every queer person, um, Sophia Divinatrix is a queer person. That's why um, that's why she preaches through burlesque, because uh, the the queer community speaks through performance, through the body, through a lot of like body image is there right like fabulousness is shown in the body right yeah. so i i started thinking like every queer person was a child once and a queer child at that i mean it's not this question of like when did you know it's like well when did you know that you were straight right like we are <laughs> we are <laughs> we are born so so then that's how nina sofia come to be so there's part of uh, Toni Morrison's Beloved and Baby Socks in Nina Sofia, which um, is um, an incarnated embodied representation for me, very particular to me, of who the Holy Spirit as the wild child of the Trinity um, is to me. So I, I, I combine all of these ideas in, in this space um, and we gather around play and around the divine and about around divine wisdom to play and to disrupt and to together. Togetherness is another key word that you mentioned that is very much at the heart of the Sophia's theme park. So I've been wondering, um, Lakisha, about how can we like point out for our listeners the points of connection between your work and my work and our social location in this world that you and I inhabit? Because I started this work um, I already said many things about how I started this work in play because it's it's been forever with me, but also specifically as a Puerto Rican woman growing up in one of the very last still colonies in the world, now a colony of the USA. So as a colonized person, Puerto Rican, who grew up in Puerto Rico and only joined the diaspora just like 13 something years ago, um, and as I called, uh, as, as Sophia Divinatrix this did her debut as a recovering evangelical, mm -hmm. you know, who is re recuperating from this, from this Puritan tradition that denies pleasure, that denies play, mm -hmm. that denies delighting in God. So that's how where I come from into this uh, work. But you come at it from a different perspective. So. Tell us about like the perspective that you come into the work of play and what are the, the points of connection that we can see. And I'll, I'll name also the ones that I see. But let's start with you. Yeah, no, thank you. And, and again, even as you're saying it, I'm thinking of even more connections than we probably mentioned before. Um, but, you know, I identify as a, as a Black woman in the world and I, I consider myself a womanist. And so I come from a... Um, a very kind of very strong black woman tradition, um, but it wasn't necessarily raised that way, you know, very much raised in um, a church that was very kind of, you know, didn't talk about sex, didn't talk about body. You can dance for the Lord, but you can't wear anything too tight. <laughs> you need to wear the little lap scarf over, <laughs> over your legs. Um, and, and just that kind of space of, 
you know, you don't question God, you don't, you know, authority was very important, you know, kind of in the kind of the hierarchy of the black church um, and thinking about hierarchy and the pastor's important and you don't question. And so um, just kind of, for me, play was the space where I questioned. Play was the space where I got to know myself and my body and telling that what it was good. Play was the space where I got to know the divine and the place where I found like refuge in like the more hurtful moments of my life, whether it was abuse or whether it was, um, you know, moments where I experienced racism and sexism and, and all these other isms. Like for me, I would go back and dance and I would go back and move. And I would, that, that was my prayer to God. Like I would, I was praying through my body and, and God was healing and, and doing so much. And so for me, kind of similar to your background, even though it wasn't, it, I wouldn't identify as more of like a, a Puritan tradition, but it was still very, it had a lot of those pieces in it, right? It was, it was very much in, you know, in the black tradition, it's still very patriarchal. It's still very, you know, hierarchical space. And so it's still very, you don't question, we don't talk about body, we don't talk about sex, we don't talk about any of that. And so it's just one of those things where I, I feel like we, you know, bring a lot of that background, especially being, you know, women with bodies. <laughs> who often people in the world are going to see our bodies when we walk in a room. We, we can't, you know, we can't hide what color we are. We can't hide what shape we are. We can't hide these, I mean, we shouldn't need to hide these wonderful bodies, but they often, at least for me, I found that I was objectified the first thing when I would enter rooms, right? My body, you know, I, I remember literally having a professor that was like, um, tap me, I, I still get pissed thinking about this, but literally tapped me on the head and was like, oh, well, at least, you know, you're really pretty. And I was like, say what? <laughs> But those moments of like, even when we're in these theological spaces or spaces where we have felt like we've, you know, had to work so hard to get into, you still see these bodies. And so for me, it's like, well, if I'm, if you're going to see it anyway, you're going to see the way I want you to see, I'm going to play, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to, and you're just going to have to deal (laughs) and you're just going to have to. And so I feel like you and I are both coming from these traditions that maybe didn't give us space (laughs) in the ways that maybe we wanted to have space. And we're kind of reclaiming our spaces and we're reclaiming our bodies in beautiful ways and we're using it we're using it to teach we're using it you know as as pedagogical strategies and I think at least from what I'm hearing us we're both using it as like our very own methodology like how we're moving in the world I think you mentioned it earlier our epistemology ontology how we know our very being we're using it on a daily basis we're gifting it to our students we're using it in our teaching practices we're using it when we're preaching and when we're ministering so I think we're connecting in so many of those ways what what, what other ways are you thinking of because I mean those are ones that just automatically coming to me I'm like yes it's in everything (laughs) Yes, I'm with you. Um, yes, play um, that we use in teaching, play as a, as a pedagogy and andragogy, because that's the other things. Like we're not using play just to teach children. We're using play with adults, as, yes. as adults, right? Yes. Who in a sense refuse to, to grow up. I feel a little bit identified with Robin, with, is it not Robin Hood? Is, who's his name? Peter Pan. Peter Pan, yes. who refuses <laughs> to grow up. That's, I identify with Peter Pan in that sense. Um, but also, I, I want to say a little bit more about this going against the grain or uh, against the dominant ways of being in the academy, because like the academy is all about talking heads. And here we are um, using very like female ways of being could be called, but also mm-hmm. community oriented ways of being. Uh, yes. I think we share that too. And, and that play is about that. I mean, I mean, there are games that you, you play by yourself, but um, that's not the kind of games that I prefer to play, right? I, pref- mm-hmm. I prefer to play with, with a community, with 
a community. So to, to create uh, something, to create that spark of life uh, that we can generate when we get together. Um, so what I'm thinking here is the risk and the vulnerability that is right there, not only in play, but by the fact that we are entering this male dominated way um, place and way of being, the talking head, refusing to play into that. So there is a layer in which we are already disrupted by coming with our brown female bodies into the academy. But then we take that even further and say, and we are refusing to just be a different body performing the same role. Yes. We are gonna play this role in a different way. And we know that we are presumed incompetent as women of color. Mm -hmm. um, it, there's actually a book, a book with yep. that title. <laughs> so go read it if you want. Um, but we are taking on the risk of reiterating uh, what is already thought of us. And so this is where uh, if somebody wants to call us, I'm like, why, do you, why are you using white men to like, well, in a way, the academy forces us to, to yeah. do that. Yep. If the academy was more open to different ways of being and different ways of knowing, we wouldn't need to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So because of where we are and who we are, we do this, we quote these people. But this is the ways that our communities have been doing things for years, for generations, and typically outside of church and typically outside of academia and scholarly and academic and learning spaces. But we are recovering that and the, the story that came to mind is one illustration or metaphor that I received from one of my many, many therapies in which um, she was saying that, you know, got uh, horse whispers, horse whispers, or any human that relates to, to a horse, um, the horse perceives humans as a predator. And the horse in a human horse relationship sees themselves as prey. And if the human is afraid of the horse, which I usually am because a horse killed my great grandmother. And so I grew up with fear of horses. Um, the, the human will not be able to, to control the horse well. And so one of the things she was telling me that the best way for a human to work with a horse or walk, even walk with a horse is to lean into the horse instead of away from, because mm -hmm. if you pull out, then that forceful movement will remind the horse that the horse is a prey and will in fear not move. And so I thought about it for weeks and then I realized you are inviting me to be the human who gets closer to the horse but that metaphor doesn't work for me because what I am facing in the academy as a woman of color is that I am the prey and the academy is the predator. And so mm. what you and I are both doing is to lean into the academy. We are not the ones more powerful necessarily in the hierarchy that this world gives us, but we are deciding that we are not gonna take on that role of being the lower in the totem pole. And we are still gonna embrace this risk of leaning into for the sake of walking with and walking mm -hmm. together. So I was like, yeah, the metaphor doesn't work for me and still <laughs> I'm gonna take on the risk of leaning into 
and being the horse that leans into the human or being the woman of color that leans into the academy and says, yes, and I'm still intelligent, I'm still very much an academic and a scholar, and an erudita, diría yo en español, and I'm going to do it through play. This is my methodology. I'm going to play with the concepts, and I'm going to play with the practices again and again and again and find all of the ways in which we can make things work. All of it, what guides me is purpose. And in this case, the purpose of the Sophia theme parks is healing through reconnection of the different aspects of humans, of oneself, and the different aspects of a society, which are these different groups in which society has organized us. I say that you, the United States of America color codes um, people. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's not the best way to look at, at human beings. So that's what we are looking for, to co-create community, to co-create divine community, as you called it, beloved community, <laughs> and, and enjoy and delight in God's presence and God's divine wisdom. I just, I'm just going to throw a, a, two, two more things out there that, that have just come to my mind, even as you're talking about what can be useful to practitioners and theologians, right, as we're thinking about this, this, this work. And, you know, you mentioned how we've had to learn both canons, right, our own personal life canons and the, the you know, the dead white men, right, like that's what we call them, right. Um, and I couldn't help thinking about W.E.B. Du Bois and this double consciousness in this space of having to know our language and theirs and having to be able to speak both. But when it comes to what is other, it's not reciprocated. And I think what play does, and again, you're thinking about Sophie, it introduces people to this other canon of language, of space, of things that are ours, of things that, you know, like you said, we've been doing this since we were in the womb. We've been playing cards let's get a thing of spades going let's get, i mean i've been doing this since i can remember and i think play is this beautiful space of saying hey get to know this other this other canon get to know these other other ways of being and knowing and learn this other way of consciousness of being that it is out there this that your way is not the only way this is another way and i think that's so beautiful that it offers that and, <clears throat> and i'm not even sure if you did this but i heard this when you were talking i don't know if this is where you're going with this but I love it, again, mostly because in light of the pandemic, right, and this, because I feel like even through the pandemic, I don't know about you, but I feel like it's always continued to be this, you still need to produce, you still need to produce, you still have to get something out, and um, and I think the beauty of what, you know, you're, you're talking about, and what you're offering through Sophia's Theme Park is is kind of this redefinition of what productivity means, right? Um, you know, I, I can quote statistics, yes, you're 20% more productive if you make time for play, right? Brigham Young said, yeah, I can quote all of that. And yet, what does it really mean to see play as in itself alone also being worth having and doing and being productive for your own body and worth and self-being and mental health? Because guess what? If you're gone, that's it. It's just one of you, right? Like we have to take care of what we've been gifted and, and play offers that. And so how do we redefine productivity? Say, yeah, today I played. And guess what? That was enough. And that was wonderful. And that was, that was productive. If you want to use that word or just saying that was what I needed and that's what needed to happen. And so I love the way that you're kind of shifting the language and shifting space of, of what can be and of what we have come to, like you said, value in the Academy and saying, yeah, and we're going to lean into it and do it on our own terms and help you see us along the way. And again, we're, it, it's risky. I mean, even this conversation is risky. If you hear, I'm pretty sure yeah. you're thinking, "Ooh, y'all girls, y'all, y'all ladies are are going." In. Yeah. <laughs> um. But but I think it's 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 time out for being fake and being phony. And you know, you and I talked about this before, but it's about 
being real with who we are, with where we are, realizing that there were people that busted down doors for us to get here, to be able to have this conversation. And that, you know, like our hope is that we're hopefully creating more spaces for other people that are gonna come after us that won't have to wrestle with some of these things. And so we don't have the time or luxury to, to tiptoe. You know, we have to be yeah. honest and risk because, you know, for us, our careers online, like so many other things are a part yeah. of this. And so, but doing it our way, and being who mm-hmm. we feel called to be like purpose, right. Is, is so important. Yeah. And so I'm just, I'm just grateful for, for your boldness in, mm-hmm. in not only this conversation, but in doing the work you feel like as Katie Cannon would say, the work your soul must have in doing Sophia's yes. theme park. That was a risk. You didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, I know you have some things coming up, so I'm going to let you talk about that with Sophia's theme park happening soon, but yeah. it's, it's not easy. And I just want to say I'm grateful for for you and I'm grateful for your gifts. I'm grateful for um, all of all of that. And so I'm just, yeah, I thank the Lord for you and all, your your gifts and what you're giving to the world. And um, and yeah, so I know we're gonna get ready to uh to close yes. in, a, in a little bit, but yeah. I didn't know if you wanted to offer any other things or to tell folks where, to find out more about Sophia's theme park or yes. yes. <laughs> So Sophia's Theme Park um, offered, hosted the first virtual retreats in the summer of 2021. And we are getting ready to host, um, actually by the time that our listener is listening to this podcast, um, the second iteration would have passed, which is the winter break in January, 2022. And we're gonna have a third iteration in the summer of 2022. So, um, Please look out for it and register so you can also enjoy the magical presence of God's wisdom in our midst when we are willing to be vulnerable, to risk vulnerability, to risk uh, not performing um, the adult and very uh, proper persona that as church leaders and, and religious leaders or even academics we have to perform. But I want to share a story about um, about productivity because as as we you reminded me when you we were talking about how we redefine productivity. One of the things we did, uh, I didn't create the Sophia theme park by myself. That that first iteration uh, was co-created because that's how I work in community. And so, one of the of the meetings of the planning meetings, quote unquote planning meetings. So we we played. And the people who showed up thought that we were rehearsing the games that we will use in the park, but that's not how I planned it. I planned and designed games that will help us design the park itself. So all of the ideas of what the rights, we call them rights, and we we were a little bit inspired by that like magical kingdom that a lot of us know (laughs) that, we have in the United States. Um, We thought about rights of places, carnivals and places like that, that we have gone. And then we tried to create our own, but that co-creation happened through playing. We didn't like had a business meeting the usual way to develop from the head down. We played and out of the games, the actual experiences of the Sophia's theme park came to be. And so, because they saw, they, they told me at the end of the meeting, they're like, but we didn't do the work. We were playing the whole time. I said like, no, 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 
we did the work. That is the Let work. Let me show you. <laughs> this is what we have created today. The park is going to have these four areas. And in, each, in this area, and so that first, that summer of 2021, we decided to have two areas. One we called Rivers of Life. And we had a bunch of um, scripture stories related to waters, of specifically rivers in scripture. And another area we called Dazzling Delight. So it was um, around fire and light and how, how we are light too and, and created out of the same stuff as stars. So in January 2022, in January 2022, we are going to be focusing on the Epiphany star. And that's so all the games, all of the interactions, interactive ways of engaging scripture, we're going to be around that story of the Epiphany star. And, but I wanted to name that, that play as a methodology can also work to quote unquote produce. I prefer more organic terms as generate. So we generated yes, um, through, through games, we generated the Sophia Steam Park. And so after we have been saying yes and to one another throughout this whole episode, um, Lakisha, I think you have a game for us to kind of get us Blimey. Yes, to, to, to close this out because, you know, this yeah. is an amazing conversation and we can't not end on play because we both love to play. So we're going to do uh, a game called, it's called Yes And. And so essentially it's kind of, you know, a, a theater game, but it's usually it's it's used as a warm up, but we thought it'd be a really great closing to just kind of close on something fun and exciting. But essentially how it works is we're going to say yes and to something. So we're going to have a sentence or a theme and then we're going to say yes and and add to it and then we'll, we'll kind of go back and forth adding to it saying yes and, and seeing what is created we won't go too long because we don't want to hold you um but we have asked uh one of the folks that's helping us put all of this together macarena thank you uh for a sentence and this is a sentence that uh, macarena gave that we're going to use to riff off of so i'm going to say the sentence and then liz you can go first with yes and okay so the sentence is play is being productive yes and productive can mean different things when you start with playing with it we can play a game in which we take the p for peaches and papayas and pears and we can take the r for the rivers of lives and the o for oh my god when we really are liking the game <laughs> but also yes and <laughs> we can generate and co-create with the divine every time we play. Yes, and play can cultivate something within us, within our being, and it can be contagious and it can spread like wildfire as it should. And it will enliven us, enliven the people around us. So it doesn't, so we're creating and it, we don't even realize that we're creating. <laughs> Uh, yes <laughs> and it is a good spreading it's not it's not a, the kind of spreading like the coronavirus was that was very death dealing no. in the first wave and it's still death dealing today in its many variations it's a kind of life-giving spreading of this enthusiasm of being letting the spirit that lives within us be bright and shine like a diamond yes and i love when we quote rihanna's songs shine like a diamond and 
uh, we are hoping that each and every one of you will play more and say yes and a little bit more often. <laughs> yes. Thanks so much for this list. And thank you, everybody, for joining us. It's been great to talk with you about play. May God's play be with you. This has been an HTI production. For more information, visit us at htiopenplaza.org. The Hispanic Theological Initiative provides Open Plaza as a public service. The views expressed by the guests are their own. Their appearance on this program or any reference to a specific product or entity they represent does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by HTI.